Good morning. Nestor, Wanda, so good to see you. You're holding your baby girl. It's good to see y'all. Okay, let's find our seats, get started. All righty. Well, I, hello, I'm Clara Moranville. Um, I'm one of the teachers here on Sunday morning. And so I'm going to start off with uh, just telling you a little bit about me. Uh, you know, we have five daughters that are all grown and all married. And uh, when we had family time at home, which was pretty regularly, one of the things we would do at night is we would play games, you know, play card games or board games. And so when our fourth daughter came um, home for the weekend with her, um, our son-in-law, Peter, we decided to use one of our evenings to play a new board game called um, Pandemic. And Pandemic is a cooperative board game based on the premises that there's these four awful diseases going and they're out to the world and they're trying to take over uh, whole regions and eventually destroy the whole world. And so Pandemic is uh, a little different kind of a game because the play game is more co um, cooperative instead of competitive. And so we work together as a team to try to stop these epidemics and finding cures for um, for these diseases. And it's really kind of fun. If you haven't played the game, I recommend you play it. Um, and it's fun to heal the world. Now, um, you know, the issue of health and healing is a big topic um, for us. You know, just the last couple of years, there's been a lot of talk about the spread of an epidemic called Ebola. And that disease has uh, had, had a lot of problems, a lot of issues for a particular couple of them. Uh, Western uh, countries in West Africa, um, Guinea and Liberia. And then it also affected a country that we care about and pray about, Nigeria. There were 20 cases there. And then one in um, Arlington, Texas, as a matter of fact. But in that, um, just recently, you know, they found that when you got the disease, about 70% of folks that contacted the disease died. And so the, the world... Um, health operation called WHO, found they discovered about 11,313 persons had died from this epidemic. So on October the 18th of this year, so only a couple of weeks ago, um, all three of the countries that were most seriously affected by this disease were able to find uh, two joint weeks without any new cases. So there's a lot of hope that this disease has been brought to an end. Now, health issue is a big issue for us. Um, you know, we know that currently uh, there are a lot of conversations about health reform. It's one of the topics our politicians are discussing. Um, and so it is a big deal for our society. Now, we've been in a series called More Love, More Power. And um, based out of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and part of what I've been saying throughout this series is that the gospel is this amazing good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that he is Lord of the world. And as Lord of the world, he's inviting us to be transformed, personally transformed. And he's inviting us to partner with him in transforming this lost and hurting world. And we hear him say to us, and our church particularly, we've been hearing him invite us to say, come, come with me. And help me to change this lost and hurting world. But often in the community, the Christian community, we take this message of personal transformation, global transformation, and we reduce it to a form of fire insurance. 
You know, if I ask Jesus into my life as Savior, then, you know, I know that when I die, I'm not going to go to hell. But it has nothing to do with changing me, real change. It has nothing to do with my personal life, with my marriage and how I handle money, how I handle my sexuality, how I handle my, my future, or definitely my physical well-being. And certainly the gospel has nothing to do with me joining up with a cause that is much bigger than myself in which I can impact the world and change it for good. But one aspect of the gospel which is unmistakable is that if you actually read the New Testament accounts about Jesus, his apostles, the disciples, you're going to find that they were involved and concerned with health and healing. Healing and health is part of the gospel. We don't have a Christian gospel in part if we don't deal with this question about healing and health. So today's message I've entitled really simply, Empowered Healing. So let's pray. So Papa, I thank you for your presence that has just been magnified this morning through communion, through the worship, through the prayer in, from Nigeria, Lord. Lord, thank you for the sense of belonging to a family much bigger than just this family. All across the world, Lord, people are worshiping you and finding you and being healed by you and loved by you. So, Lord, this morning, we're a part of that stream of recipients. From Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and fill us with uh, a spirit to learn, to be taught, to be challenged, to be comforted, to be healed especially from our guests, Lord. We pray that you would touch them in a very special way in their inner spirit with assurance of your love for them and your care for them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at John chapter 5, verses 1 through 10 uh, from the message. And I'll, I'll read it out loud for us. Soon another feast came around and Jesus was back in Jerusalem. Near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool, in Hebrew called Bethesda, with five alcoves. Hundreds of sick people, blind, crippled, paralyzed, were in these alcoves. One man had been an invalid there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he'd been there, he said, Do you want to get well? The sick man said, Sir, When the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. By the time I get there, somebody else is already in. Jesus said, get up. Take your bedroll, start walking. The man was healed on the spot. He picked up his bedroll and walked off. That day happened to be the Sabbath. The Jews stopped the healed man and said, it's the Sabbath. You can't carry your bedroll around. It's against the rules. Now, in our century, 21st century, we value healing. But it was an issue or a desire, a question for all generations, all societies. And it's definitely part of our Christian faith. I mean, the most frequent um, miracle attributed to Jesus was the miracles of healing. I mean, surely he walked on water, he turned water into wine, and he told storms to be still, and they were still. 
But by far, if you read the Gospels, you realize primarily we see over and over and over Jesus dealing with sick people and healing them and casting out demons. Now, in the New Testament, the Jews had a word that they used that described to them what the world was going to be like when the Messiah came. And it's the word shalom. And it means wholeness, completeness, well-being, peace in every realm of life. This is what the Messiah is supposed to do when he came to the world. So we read about in um, passages like Isaiah, a lot of messianic passages like this one about the kingdom. Isaiah 35, verses 4 to 6. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come, and he will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. And right there, he's talking about what happened at the cross. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Messiah is going to come and bring heaven to earth. He's going to make all things new. And so what the Jews hoped for would happen in the New Testament was happening in part and had broken in when Jesus came. So Jesus' ministry of supernatural healing was and is a foretaste of the kingdom to come. Shalom has come. Wholeness, healing, well-being. Now the ministry of healing is not confined to Jesus alone. We see that Jesus invited his apostles, his disciples to come alongside and work with him in the kingdom. Uh, Matthew 10, verses 1, we read, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, we know if we've read through the book of Acts, we are going to see that the apostles were very committed and involved in healing. It wasn't just for Jesus' immediate followers, but it extended much further than that. The church in the first few centuries was known and noted for healing miracles. Dr. Ramsey McMullen, he's a professor of classic in history at Yale University. Kind of a smart guy, I think. Anyway, he makes an argument that the great growth that we saw in the early church was attributed to this factor. The church did two things. She believed that there was a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of evil. And the second thing that the church believed, that they were so called to be sent out to overcome evil by healing sick people, by delivering people from demons, and inviting them into a transformed life, a God-given life. Now, there's amazing stories in the early church about this kind of activity going on. In the third century, there was a guy named Gregory the Wonder Worker. This guy was a student of uh, one of our early church fathers' origin. And he went to the north-central part of Turkey. And when he arrived there, it was said that in that area, there were probably maybe 17 Christians. By the end of his life, Gregory the Wonder Worker's life, it was said that there were probably maybe 17 people that weren't Christians. And what Gregory did while he was there is he taught and he preached and he healed the sick and he cast out demons. And there's a story about him going into a temple, a pagan temple, and spending the night there. Decided, this is where I'm spending the night. And there was a priest there that was accustomed to being, uh, it was called a medium. 
And so it was customary for the demon to enter this priest, and then the priest would speak on behalf of the demon. Well, after Gregory spent the night there, that demon didn't want to show up anymore. And that priest was the very first convert that Gregory the Wondermaker made in Turkey. So that was then. What's the situation now? What's currently happening in our world? Now, two-thirds of our world, Asia, Africa, Latin American regions, is growing by crazy, and much of it is being attributed to the signs and the wonders and the healing that are happening in those regions. Phil Jenkins, he's a professor of history and religious studies in Penn State University, wrote a book, The Next Christendom, The Coming of Global Christianity. And Jenkins believes that the reason why Christianity is spreading so quickly in Asia, Africa, Latin America is because the church is walking in her birthright. She is healing the sick and she's casting out demons. Now the vineyard movement, the movement that we are associated with, that we're a part of, was birthed in this. This is our birthright. The practice of healing the sick and of casting out demons. We believe that healing is our birthright. It is the mark of a Christian church. Emotional healing, physical healing, spiritual healing, financial healing, relational healing, all of it. You know, divine healing is not some bizarre activity happening in the backwoods of Arkansas. And it's not some weird freak thing happening in South San Antonio. You know, if we're going to talk about authentic Christianity, then we've got to talk about Jesus, the apostles, the early disciples, the church worldwide, and our church on the topic of healing. So in light of this, why aren't there more people flocking to the church that are sick and saying, can you help me? I've gone to test after test, and the doctors say they can do nothing for me. They can't help me. Why are we hearing people say, I feel like a slave to alcohol or to drugs or to shopping or to sex, and my life is a wreck? Does the church have any answer for me? Now, in 21st century America, not only is healing not seen as an essential part of the gospel, or an essential part of our faith or practice, we've come to a place where when a pastor or a priest or a chaplain shows up at someone's bed, the sick, the person thinks, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. When did that happen? How did we get there? How did death get associated with our Christian faith? I think our gospel's too small. We're not living in our birthright. So let's look at John 5, because that's what we're going to study. Soon another feast came around, and Jesus was back in Jerusalem. Now, it's not clear what feast this was, but it was near the sheep gate. Ooh, I said that okay. Ooh. Near the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool in Hebrew called Bethsaida with five alcoves. Hundreds of sick people, blind, crippled, paralyzed, were in these alcoves. Now, Bethsaida means house of outpouring, house of flowing. 
Now, a century ago, our critics of the Bible said there is no such place as Bethsaida. In fact, that incident was made up, fabricated by John, because there is not even any place like that. You go to Jerusalem, you can't find it. The problem is that archaeologists have found it. You know, the stories in the Bible are not make-up belief stories. They're not mystical stories of a place called Asgard. You could actually go to Israel and put the shovel in the ground and dig up these places that are talked about in the Bible. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but if you were to look at your Bible, some of you will realize that the chapter goes from verses 1 to 3, and then 4 is skipped. There is no verse 4. It's omitted from most Bibles. And the reason is because in our older manuscripts, are more um, the manuscripts that are upheld as being the most ancient, they don't have verse 4 in the Scripture. And so they're often put in our footnotes. And this is what verse 4 says. And they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool, after it reached such disturbance, would be cured by whatever disease he had. So what has been understood is that verse 4 was added to the scriptures later, kind of as an explanation or the context for verse 7, which says, Sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. By the time I get there, somebody else is already in. Okay, so what are the obstacles that we see that this man had that interfere with him and divine healing? We're going to look at that. I think the first problem we see here is the problem of worldview. Now, people have a certain worldview, a certain perspective about how healing comes, how they see the world. And, and I've talked about worldview before on occasion. And to me, worldview means the lenses by which we interpret our world. By, you know, it's like putting on a pair of glasses that are tinted or you know, changed by lenses. And so we see the world differently than if we didn't have those glasses on. And for us, our worldview is created by how we were taught by our parents, what we learned in school, in history books, entertainment, the media, even our ethnic background influences our worldview. And, you know, God is the only one that sees the world the way it is. The rest of us are impacted by our worldview. So for this man... And the people who lived in that time, they had a worldview, and their worldview said healing comes not from Jesus, but by getting into that water first when the angel touches the water. This is what this man's worldview, and all those hundreds of people that were laying there, that was their worldview. So here's the worldview today that I think we have. Healing comes not from Jesus through prayer. It comes through our doctors our therapists, and medicine. Now, you might be a little uncomfortable by that, but I want you to know that here at the Vineyard, we acknowledge that doctors, therapists, and medicines are part of God's healing power and, and healing provision for us. So there's no shame for any of us to be on medication or haven't been re- received healing through the processes. We're thankful for the doctors and the nurses in this congregation, for the counselors and the therapists, we thank you for the work that you have in the healing process. But many, 
do not see that Jesus and prayer has anything to do with healing. They put a lot of their trust in the medical practice. So my question for us today is, are we leaning on Jesus for our healing? Now, can I ask the obvious question? Has modern medicine become our healing pool? That really offends me, Clara. I don't really think I like that. I feel a little judged right now. You know, whenever you feel resistance or you feel something like that happening from a sermon or scripture or from talking to someone, ask the question, Jesus, what's going on? Why am I feeling this? And is there something you're trying to show me? And I'm hoping that he does. And so like this man, we lie by the pool hoping that the doctors or medicine or alternative medicine even will come along and create a solution for my problem. Now, just think about this. How long does it take you to drive to your doctor? And to park and walk and go up the elevator and you sit and you wait. And you wait, and you wait in the waiting room, right? That's what they call waiting room, for you to wait. They're not there for you to quickly go see the doctor right away, right, doctors? So, what if we were to spend 10% of that time in prayer for healing? Or to over and over and over go with others and say, would you pray for me? You pray for my son. But this man had worked out in his mind how healing was going to come. He had his worldview. And he goes to explain his worldview to Jesus in verse 7. Sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. By the time I get there, somebody else is already in. I mean, don't you love the irony of this? The man telling Jesus, the healer, how his healing is going to come. And I think some of us have done that. We told Jesus how we're going to be healed. Yeah, Jesus, the healing of my marriage, my finances, the healing of my body has to happen like this. Let me tell you, Jesus, how it's going to happen. I want you to know that in order for me to be well, my mother and my father have to forgive me and acknowledge how they've hurt me. And then I'll be well. If my husband or my wife would just change, I wouldn't be the way I am. I wouldn't be depressed. If only I can find the right therapist or the right treatment, my loved one will be healed. I just need to find a husband or a wife and stop being single and then I will be complete. You know, these are conversations that people have when their source is not Jesus. There's nothing wrong with praying for any of those things. But when we lean on that, we're leaning on a human being to change our world and to allow us to have healing. So we pray and we pray for Jesus to carry us to our healing pool of choice. And Jesus is not committed to carrying us to our healing pool. He's committed to bringing us to him. 
And so Jesus enters into a dialogue with this man here laying by the pool and tries to say, can we just, can you just get your eyes off of that water? And you know, like, look at me. Look at me. I'm the one. You know, and sometimes, even in our church, I wonder, are we so hooked on certain techniques and processes that we've forgotten that we need to connect with the Holy Spirit and hear from Him and see what He's doing? You know, you need to stand like this, put your hand out like that, right? Right? Or you need to have certain kind of mannerisms like, like, bro, you know, it's just it's this technique thing that's an issue for me sometimes. And I think Jesus is saying, there's no formula. Just connect with me. Listen to me. Watch me. Do as I do. And then you will experience shalom, wholeness, well-being. Now, some of the factors that are stifling healing in this book passage, I think, are the worldview of this gentleman. I think is the reliance on techniques. Got to get into the water before anybody else. And then I think it's our complacency. Verses 5 to 6. When Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he had been there, he said, do you want to get well? You know, at first this question sounds really rude and insensitive. Now, if you've been sick for a while, if you have a chronic illness, you don't want someone asking you, do you want to get well? Are you kidding me? Why do you think I'm laying here by the pool for 38 years? Why do you think I'm taking these medicines? Do I want to get well seriously, Jesus? And yet Jesus asks the question. And you know, many doctors and therapists ask this question. Do you want to stop drinking? Do you really want to be set free from pornography? And the answer may be, maybe not. You know, folks, this talk from me is not judging. I'm not judging you for not being healed or your child not being healed. And this is not about you hiding that you're sick. It is about examining your heart. Lord, do I have resistance to you, Jesus, healing me? Okay, so I just want to share what some researchers and doctors are saying as to secondary gains why people don't want to get well. To elicit caregiving, sympathy from family and friends. Maybe you know someone like that or have someone like that in your family. To obtain a much-earned rest. To withdraw from unpleasant or difficult life situations or roles like being a parent or being the sole breadwinner, or having to take an exam you didn't study for. To displace the blame for our failures on an illness beyond our control. To hold on to a spouse in a marriage, or a partner in a romantic relationship. To avoid sex. I have a headache, dear. To obtain drugs. Now, in some small percentages, and I mean that, Certainly not all, but in a small percentage of cases, there is benefit to being sick. In a larger percentage of cases, I think we are complacent about changing. 
We complain about our relationships. We're frustrated by our bondage. And so Jesus asks us the honest question. Do you want to be well? We complain about our limited job situations. And we do nothing to change our lives. Do you want to be well? Can I just encourage us to begin to hope and want change? Jesus, I don't want to be sick all of my life. I don't want to be out of shape all of my life. I want to be able to climb a flight of stairs and not huff and puff by the end of the time I get up there. I want to be free from the bondage of overspending. And then just let Jesus blow his spirit on you and embrace the power that is released. So beside our worldview, our reliance on techniques, our complacency, I think we battle with disappointment. And of all, I think this one is where I land the most. Verses 5 to 6. One man had been an invalid there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he had been there, he said, do you want to get well? I mean, this man was an invalid for 38 years. If we've been sick a month, we're going to be depressed. Several months? Years? So I think it's understandable that this man, for 38 years, might have some problems with disappointment. You know, if Jesus hasn't healed me yet, then I don't think he's going to in this life. Yeah, I have hope for them, but not in this life. It's understandable. And so disappointment settles in, and we become in this place of disappointment and not expectant of God doing something for us. You know, it's really simply impossible to figure out how God works. I mean, you know... People go to church for a decade. They listen to 500 sermons. And suddenly, 501 sermon, it all connects. Bam. Why? Why that moment? Why that sermon? Sermon. I mean, the ways of God are weird. And they get it. I need Jesus. Today, I understand. You know, one of the problems that we have with the miraculous is that sometimes we give up too soon. There's a delay, and so we conclude we've been denied. You know, two chapters from chapter 5 in John, John describes the Holy Spirit, and he says of the Holy Spirit, the wind blows where it wills. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it's going. Your friends, it's easy to say, well, the wind is not blowing. Therefore, God will never do anything, and he will not do this miracle that I am pressing in to have. You know, our experience here at the Vineyard um, for healing, I I would say of instant healing, like they are healed right there. It's probably 1 in 20, 1 in 25 people from one time, instant prayers. But the majority of the people who come up for prayer, a large percentage of them feel better. Some measure of healing. A little bit of the breeze comes by. Some improvement. 
So I'm just wondering, if a one-time prayer, one in 25, we see instant healing, what would a lot of prayer look like? What would it look like for a church that prayed for healing to come? You know, we have ministry team people here that are prepared to not only pray for you in the morning, Sunday mornings, but in small groups, but they are willing to give you an hour, hour and a half of concentrated prayer for whatever you're going through. Cindy McBride, raise your hand. See that little lady right there? Turn around, look at her. Do not call me. Do not email me. That is the lady you call because she organizes the teams. Okay, so the last obstacle I see in this passage is poor theology. Verses 8 to 10. Jesus said, get up, take your bedroll, start walking. The man has, was healed on the spot. He picked up his bedroll and walked off. That day happened to be the Sabbath. The Jews stopped the healed man and said, it's the Sabbath. You can't carry your bedroll around. It's against the rules. Okay. You know, if I had been crippled and hadn't used my legs for 38 years, I'd be super excited about doing anything, even if it was work. Right? I would have said that the Sabbath rest does not get any better than this. Right? You know, in the Old Testament, it didn't say you couldn't do what they told him he couldn't do. What the fourth commandment is about is stop what you do all other six days of your week and focus on me and worship me and delight in me and rest in me and guess what? Do you think that's what happened to that 38-year-old man? Do you think he delighted in God that day and worshipped that God that day that healed him? His, you know what the rest of his world was like? Every day, six days, six days, six days, six days, every, all the days. He was a beggar laying by the pool, hoping that he would be able to crawl with his elbows in that water in case an angel showed up. That was his life. And so to me, in my opinion, he was worshiping God. He was testifying of a good and beautiful God who cares about me enough to heal me after 38 years of believing he couldn't. Okay. You know, there are many churches, Christian churches, that believe that the healing ministry has stopped. The church should not be involved in the healing ministry other than being doctors and nurses and therapists and making medicine and making money from that. All right? They, they, they say, no, the church does not do this anymore. That stopped with the apostles. Well, maybe a little bit into Acts, but after that, mm-mm. And, you know, my intentions this morning are not to provide theological argument for healing for today. I mean, if you want to read a good book on that, I would recommend Alexander Vander's book, Doing Healing, How to Minister God's Kingdom in the Power of the Spirit. And he talks about divine healing and the practice of healing and describes how the church has been robbed from her birthright. Many churches teach that have some thought that maybe healing might be for today. It is for the elite few. It is for the super ordained pastors. And so next week, 
our 7 to 12-year-old kids are going to join us during ministry time to pray for healing for us. Because we don't believe that. Healing is not for the elect few. It is for her church. It is our birthright. You know, training is important. Learning how to pray for the sick. And so we're instructing the children how to hear the Holy Spirit and how to walk in their birthright in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is important. And hearing stories from other people and what God is doing is important. So I've asked Nigel McKay to come forward. Nigel, where are you? Nigel is um, one of our board members, and he's going to share a couple of stories of some recent experiences he's had with healing. Is this on? Okay. Oh, just to be real short, uh, I just got back in September, went to uh, school in uh, Kansas, uh, Great Bend, Kansas. Uh, I uh, run the school's name's Pete Cabrera Jr. Basically, we went for three days. It deals with power evangelism, uh, how to manifest um, healing um, on the street. Um, and uh, it was just like three days of training and then a, a day that we went out for our practical. And the practical was uh, in a mall at, uh, in Wichita, uh, Kansas. Um, we just broke up into groups. There was about eight of us, seven or eight of us. And we broke up in twos and threes and just kind of patrolled the mall. And we began to ask God, who does, you know, who does he want touched? Uh, um, and I saw this one particular lady who was walking with a very, what we call a very painful antalgic gait. Um, I could tell that something definitely was wrong with her. And I just, uh, it was in the food court, and I just said, I introduced myself. I was with a guy named John who was also from uh, our group. And uh, she said, well, yeah, I've got, I need hip replacements. I've got knee problems. I my feet killing me. And she worked at the mall, and she's on her feet all day long, you know, so she was in a lot of pain. You could tell that. And I just basically said, you know, we're, 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 we've done a class on uh, healing, and uh, would you like a little prayer? And she said, sure, you know. And so uh, both John and I began to, uh, you know, uh, pray for her. And within just a few seconds, uh, pain levels decreased. Uh, her, 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 you could tell her face changed, and uh, the pain just lifted off her. Uh, so that was just that was pretty cool. Um, and uh, she, she thanked us, you know, a lot for that. And then uh, uh, we were getting together in the food court later on that day, and uh, uh, you know, it just. You look out, a, a bunch of people there just eating, and and, and uh, I I didn't see anything. You know, I just saw just people eating. But uh, uh, the leader of our group, uh, Pete, happened to see something in his spirit and uh, approached these two girls that were by themselves, the young girls, and um, uh, asked this one in particular who stood out, and uh, uh she had scoliosis, severe scoliosis, and she was in a lot of pain, a lot of pain. And her pain level was uh, about a 9 to 10. We use a, a 1 to 10 scale. And uh, he just began to uh, pray for her, and uh, the pain began to lift off of her. 
and uh, uh, she he had some words of knowledge about her that you know that no one could have possibly known and uh, apparently she was planning on committing suicide because of the pain situation mm-hmm. and uh, you know God averted that and she became uh, both her and a friend that were with him both accepted the Lord and it was just so cool mm-hmm. and yet I crystallized all that down to say that that what I learned in those three days uh, I already had an, kind of an inkling of it. And basically, who who here has dogs? Who has dogs? Okay. Well, you know when, when you're dealing with a dog, you want the dog to obey, right? Okay. When I, ha- I have two dogs and a cat, and I expect those animals to obey me. And it's the same thing with the authority that God has given us. When I go out, I... I am expectant for obedience to occur. So when I'm dealing with something like somebody that needs healing, I have expectancy because I know what God has done in my life. And that expectancy comes out, and I take my authority that God has given me. So that's, that's where I'm at. Thank you. Thank you, Nigel. This is, that's a good, good story. So sometimes we give words of knowledge, which means where we ask the Holy Spirit who he would like to highlight to heal. We're not doing that this morning because I figured that if you want to be prayed for for healing, that that's wisdom enough. We don't, I, we don't need to ask the Holy Spirit. I think we, he's already working in you to do that because you know, either we're a phenomenally healthy church or we don't, haven't been believing that God heals because week after week, we have ministry people come up, and maybe a handful will come up when we need prayer for healing. Okay? So, ministry team, come on up. I'm sorry the kids couldn't be here this morning. We just couldn't coordinate the two, them ending and me teaching this week. So, they'll be here next week to help. And those who feel they would like to pray for healing, come forward. And, you know... After you're done, after Randy and Nigel and Cindy and others come forward to help pray, Guggen, are you here or are you working? Guggen, Jim, Roberts, you're here. Okay, so after they're going to pray for you, they might ask you, would you pray for me? My husband has a chronic illness. So you're like, well, that's kind of hypocritical. No, it's the reality. I have not given up hope that the Lord will heal him. So after they pray for you, then you're going to pray for them. Okay, would that be nice to pray for them? Would that be good? Brenda, do you want to be a part of this? Marie? Okay, anybody else want to be a part of praying for people first? Come up now. All right. They're coming. Here they go. Usually women go to women to get prayer, and men go to men. So let's see how that works, okay? Right, but if we find this lopsided, just a whole bunch of guys came up and aren't enough ladies to pray them. We'll work it out. It'll work out. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for the men and women that are up here and are sitting down and are behind the sound booth, Lord, and in our classrooms, that you want to use us all. There's no elite. These people in the front are not elite. They're just obedient. And so, Lord, make us all obedient this morning. Help us, Lord, to respond to your word, 
Respond to your spirit for the gift of your presence, your power, your healing, your shalom. The Holy Spirit, we honor you. We honor you. On the Sabbath, we rest in you. And we trust in you to heal us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, come on. You want to get prayer? Just start coming up. There may be many people, and so just wait. No rush. There's no reason to rush, guys. You can put some good, appropriate music. I, I will, just a minute. If you want healing or prayer about anything, do not leave. Just wait. This is part of what church is about. Just wait. These folks are not in a rush to leave. But if you're in a rush to leave, you've got to go somewhere. Be blessed. The service is over. And um, you can pick up your kids and have a good lunch. Love you. We'll see you next week.